Hello, hello everybody, and welcome to this episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Thank you so much for joining in today, wherever you may be in the world. Welcome, welcome. I'm glad you're here. The more, the merrier. I hope you guys are surviving out there. Surviving. <laughs> that sounds that sounds a little negative, doesn't it? Sounds like I don't believe in you guys. Surviving. Um, I should use, I'm not a naturally optimistic person, wasn't raised that way, but I should probably use a more positive word on the podcast, like, like thriving. I hope you guys are thriving. Yeah. I think that's what um, some of those self-help books and uh, trust fund babies turned life coaches, I see a lot of them out there. I think that's what they say. If you say it out loud, it'll come true. I don't know if you need to uh, click your heels or not. Manifesting. Um, Anyways, I hope you guys are thriving. Speaking of optimistic topics, today we are discussing another COVID-19 related topic. And I know, I know some of you guys are sick of COVID-19. You don't want to talk about it anymore. I get it. But the fact is, is that it's still happening. People are still getting sick. There's a lot of questions. People are wondering about the vaccines. How many boosters are they gonna have to take? What's going on? How effective are these vaccines really? How long do they last? Like, these are all questions regular people have. Makes sense. There's a lot of uncertainty, new virus, and everybody's still learning about this thing. A paper titled Rapid Evaluation of COVID-19 Vaccine Effectiveness Against SARS-CoV-2 Variants by Genetic Distance was recently published in June of 2022 in Nature Medicine, so a good journal. And it's essentially about an invention created and tested to tell us how well the vaccines from the different vaccine platforms out there work against the circulating viral variants? Well, wow, that's the question everybody has. So this tool, this tool that's discussed in the paper, can evaluate the effectiveness of different vaccines against the virus in real time, in real time. This invention was created by researchers at the Chinese University of Hong Kong and Beth Bioinformatics, which is a biotech company in Hong Kong. Uh, It's a company that uses bioinformatics, computational biology, and AI to improve vaccine designs. Uh, Things that I know all of you guys are experts in. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here to enlighten us and break this study down for us in a way that we can understand it is Professor Maggie Wang, who is founder and director of Beth Bio. She is also the co-director of the Masters of Science program in epidemiology and biostatistics at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Um, So she's going to tell us what this study and this invention is all about. And she's gonna break it down for us because this paper, it's not easy to read. I had to read it a couple times just to come up with questions for this podcast to make it um, podcast friendly so you guys would get something out of it. Um, So Professor Wang is going to do that for us. So give me a second here, guys, while we connect to her. All right, guys, we are connected to Professor Maggie Wang, and we're going to talk about the research, the very interesting research that she and her team did. But first, Professor Wang, can you tell us a little bit about you and and the type of work you do? 
Yeah, sure. Thank you, Aaron, uh, for the invitation. It's my great pleasure and honor to be here. Um, I've, um, I'm currently associate professor in the Chinese University of Hong Kong, and I've been trained in my PhD in statistics and bioinformatics, focusing on developing algorithms, statistical algorithms for predicting human diseases. And I got my bachelor degree in physics. So since then, um, since I came to the Chinese University of Hong Kong, I started to work on virus-related problems, uh, shifting from human genome research to virus genome research. So a lot portion uh, of my current work is related to um, the virus evolution, vaccine-related studies, and vaccine designs. Okay, great. So physics and statistics. Uh, you, picked, you picked some easy subjects there. <laughs> um, so we are going to chat about your study published in Nature Medicine that discusses the relationship of VE or vaccine effectiveness to something called genetic distance, which sometimes um, right. you guys refer to as GD. Now, before we get into what that means, one thing that stuck out in your paper was the wide range of variation given for VE. I think in like the very beginning, the introduction of the paper um, or the relative risk reduction for disease outcome uh, in trials in the general population, it was negative 2.7% to 97.2%. I said to myself, that's a wide range. <laughs> so can you talk about why that's such a big range um, there's um, quite a lot of factors contributing to the uh, variations or changes in the VE values. Uh, these might include the differences in the technology platforms. We have several uh, technologies like uh, mRNA vaccines or protein subunit, viral vectors, and inactivated. And all these um, uh, technology platforms generate a uh, difference in the response. Um, in the VEs. And um, another uh, key contributing uh, factor is virus evolution. So uh, as some, because, because all the current vaccines that we received use the same type of uh, uh, um, prototype, that is the initial Wuhan strain to um, use as the vaccine component. So all the vaccines use the same uh, strain as the uh, main component, right. whereas the uh, virus keep evolving. And as time goes by, the variant generates new mutations and these new genetic variants have a, a difference escape from the vaccine virus uh, immunity that it generates. So, um, uh, the longer uh, observation period um, we use to calculate the VE in the observation studies, um, the, the lower the um, recorded vaccine effectiveness will we, we see. So these um, um, are the major contributing reasons. And apart from these, there are some other reasons, uh, other factors like um, the uh, protocol used in different studies or the dosing interval of different vaccines, uh, et cetera. Yeah, okay, so a lot of factors go into this. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that's that. <laughs> okay, uh, I wanted to make sure I didn't cut you off there. Um, so in the study, you evaluated this link between genetic distance and VE, and sometimes we're going to call genetic distance GD. Just I want to make that clear to our listeners so I don't confuse anybody. But can you explain, and your paper was very technical um, and science-y. If, I know that's not a word, but mm-hmm. I, 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 <laughs> I, yeah. can you explain in as easy a way as possible what genetic distance means? Yeah, um, it's a very good question. Uh, so basically, uh, we are comparing um, the two viruses' genetic sequences. So the genetic distance measures the differences between these two viral strains. And uh, there are uh, um, many different types of measure that we can take to, uh, to compare their differences or compare their similarities. So the, uh, we adopt one of the approach and calculate the uh, differences between two viral strains. So what if there are uh, um, multiple, multiple um, viruses? Then uh, in this case, uh, we are comparing the, all the circulating viruses that are sampled in the given region and during a specific time and calculate their average genetic distance from the vaccine strain. So the genetic distance we mentioned, we used in the paper, is the average distance from the circulating viruses as comparing to the vaccine strain that we use. Yeah, so that's what it means. Yeah, no, that was good. That was um, a a good, uh, a clear explanation that I think a lot of people can uh, understand, at least a little bit, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This stuff isn't easy. This stuff is not easy. So you and your team developed a model framework using viral genetic information and population studies to predict vaccine effectiveness. I wanted to ask you two questions about that. Um, Let's start with how did you define vaccine effectiveness? Yeah, um, these are um, very um, classical uh, epidemiology study. Uh, uh, There's a, a very, very standard, golden standards of how to measure the VE. And um, uh, the primary endpoint typically adopted in the clinical trial is the vaccine uh, protection for symptomatic infection. So this is also the um, endpoint or primary outcome that we consider in this paper. There are other uh, possible outcomes such as some vaccines protection against the hospitalization or against mortality, severe diseases, or even infection, et cetera. Um, but um, these, are, um, uh, these can be uh, considered in uh, separate studies. So in this paper, uh, the model is developed um, uh, targeting the vaccine effectiveness for protecting symptomatic infection. Okay, that, that's great. Now, can you tell us briefly how you built this model? Yeah, this is a very broad question. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, you could sim- it, simplify it. We don't have to, it's, we don't have to get into like a, it doesn't have to be like an right. Ikea direction book here like that confuses everybody, but just like basics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, so uh, 
in, in for so many years, um, uh, people investigator uh, understand or we we know that there there is a link between uh, genetic mutation or virus evolution and the loss of vaccine effectiveness. There is observed link between them. That's why we need to update influenza vaccines component every year, every season. And traditionally, there is no direct approach of linking between the molecular level change or evolution to the population level vaccine effectiveness. So these two, um, two things are at completely different scale. You imagine one is at population level, the uh, is a measuring about a cohort outcome, sure. um, and the other thing is at molecular level, calculating the differences in the amino acids or nucleotide sequences. So uh, previously, uh, before the study, uh, uh, the, um, the the field major mainly uses um, other correlates of immunity measures such as uh, neutralization titer. Um, other uh, lab approach to quantify the vaccine effectiveness before it goes to the population level. So we want to, um, uh, the field, we as a researcher, we want to know um, the approximate uh, level of protection using lab approach before we conduct several months clinical trials of, or observational studies in the population. So, um, we, uh, when we look at this problem, we think uh, as there is a direct um, association or relationship between the molecular level variations and the population level vaccine effectiveness. So we are trying to connect this by uh, first building a statistical model quantifying um, the uh, influence of one on the other, that is the influence or impact now, for per genetic mutation uh, in terms of amino acid change, its effect on the loss of vaccine effectiveness. So we actually started the study um, five, six years ago on influenza virus and vaccines and gradually developed and refined the model to COVID-19. So we, um, we, we fit the model using a training data, what we call the training data. We, we, we use the training data to estimate the effect size, to build up the model um, structure, et cetera. And then we use an independent um, sample, uh, we call validation data to uh, evaluate how accurate the model is. So that's um, the basic <laughs> infrastructure of how we develop this model. Right, right, right. So you're comparing kind of um, observed versus, uh, Expect, expect you're tested and then you see how well your model predicts something basically. Right. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so you compared vaccine effectiveness and genetic distance across four vaccine platforms, which some of our listeners will be familiar with the mRNA technology, uh, the protein subunit category of vaccines, the inactivated COVID-19 vaccine, and then the viral vector. Um, types, classification of vaccines. So how did these different vaccine platforms compare to one another in your model? Yeah, 
Um, so it's not only in our model because we also have observational studies and clinical trial results. So, um, uh, and our model's prediction is consistent with these um, uh, golden standards um, estimates. So in all these um, measures, uh, it shows that the, uh, for protecting symptomatic infection, the, in general, the mRNA generate the high vaccine generated the highest protection, that is highest vaccine effectiveness, and uh, followed uh, while the protein subunit vaccine is uh, uh, similar to the uh, mRNA vaccine's performances, and followed by uh, viral vector and then inactivated uh, vaccines. Okay, okay. Um, now, in the paper, I, I read this uh, statement, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but 86.3% of the variations in vaccine effectiveness can be explained by the genetic distance measure. Um, and I said, oh, wow, that's, that's a big percentage that has some significance uh, in, a, in practical terms, I'm sure. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, so um, it, um, the interpretation is like this. So if we consider the uh, vaccine effectiveness um, after uh, uh, two to three months since the, receiving the second dose, and we have a number of studies uh, reporting these uh, vaccine effectiveness values, then the differences or the variation in these observed values um, about 86% of the variations or the changes uh, in these values are attributed to genetic evolution, to virus evolution. Uh, that's it's due, to, uh, due to the uh, circulating virus escape from the immunity that will generate from the vaccines. So that's um, how it interprets. Okay, okay. Um... Yeah, and I, you know, durability is uh, on everybody's mind, the durability of the vaccine. So um, I think a lot of people will find that interesting. Now, this model, the VEGD model, that's what I, is that what you guys call yeah. it? That's what I, <laughs> um, <laughs> can be used to make predictions on vaccine effectiveness by vaccine type. Um, so can you use, let's say effectiveness against the Delta strain to explain how someone would use this to make predictions? Right, um, so um, a feature in this model, in this VEGD model is that we um, can control for or uh, model the differences generated by the uh, vaccine technology platforms. So, um, that, that means against the same um, genetic variant, different vaccine platforms or different, vac different types of vaccines would give different levels of protections. So against the Delta variant, for example, the estimated VE for the um, mRNA vaccine product would be about uh, 82 or 83%. And if um, using a viral vector vaccines against the same type of genetic variant, um, Delta variant, then the vaccine effectiveness would um, be um, 61% as estimated by the model. 
And it, these estimates are very uh, close to the later clinical trials uh, or observational studies reports, um, not the vaccine protection against the Delta variant. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the Omicron subvariants. I don't know how it is over there, but there's a lot of chatter over here. Um, these subvariants seem to be driving up cases now. People are concerned yeah. about vaccine effectiveness yeah. and like, should I get my other next booster and so on and so forth. Um, <laughs> now, at the time you published your paper, there was no observed vaccine effectiveness data for Omicron. Um, I, right. I okay, that's right. So what did you learn though, in terms of, um, of your model and its ability to predict? Yeah. Um, so um, the current model is uh, uh, predicts the vaccine effectiveness after second dose, but uh, later we'll expand it to, um, to consider um, the effectiveness after third dose and fourth dose, et cetera. But basically um, uh, the, um, the VE after third dose would be similar to the second dose. Uh, similar or um, it depends on how it's um, mixed, uh, uh, mixed the type of vaccination, but uh, it will, um, we can, so let's use the second dose model as an example. And um, against the Omicron variant, and we know that um, this new variant is very different from all the previous genetic variants. It has um, 32 mutations on the S protein and escapes so much from the previous uh, vaccine strain. So the um, estimated vaccine effectiveness um, against symptomatic infection for Omicron for all vaccine platforms dropped below 20%. Um, uh, that, that is for all types of vaccine platforms. And as time goes by, uh, these um, protection continue, would continue to drop also because of waning immunity uh, of our uh, human body. Uh, every month there is a percentage drop just naturally because of the immune wane. And for the, um, uh, for the new BA4, BA5 variants, um, the, the expected uh, vaccine effectiveness is also very low for protecting symptomatic protection of infection. However, uh, although not shown in the paper, uh, it's being investigated right now uh, in our group, is um, the vaccine effectiveness against severe diseases uh, are still um, okay, still over 50% against the BA4 and 5 variants. So, so that's uh, good news, <laughs> all we can say. Um, at, yeah. at least for protecting hospitalization and severe diseases, the vaccines are still effective. And and again, um, we should. Uh, it's it's good that we um, um, uptake the third dose at least. But myself is expecting an update in uh, the vaccine component, and it will surely generate a higher um, protection um, against broader protection. Um, uh, on, on top of our previous vaccination. Right, right. Um, so they still see, seem to work against severe disease, um, right. but not right. symptomatic. And um, yeah, I mean, it's not, lots of people are getting symptoms and they're like, what's going on? So, you know, <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's good to know that. And I know that 
at least I, I think a couple of the vaccine manufacturing companies were like, well, we're coming out with something for Omicron. Um, right. Yeah. So right. like in the fall, uh, I don't yeah. know when that is. Um, but I guess the thing is, it's like this thing keeps evolving and you wonder like, well, by the time that's out, where's, <laughs> where's the virus going to be? But um, okay. It protects against severe disease, but we're going to hold on to that data point, which is good news for a lot of people, for sure. Now, you also looked at specific geographical areas, which I thought was interesting, and the possibility of using your model to create um, or, or predict, I guess, maybe update a vaccine by region. Or, or What did you learn there in this ge yeah. geographical specific areas? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it, it's, it's quite interesting that uh, because of this uh, model, we're able to um, consider the multiple strain co-circulation situation, which is very difficult to evaluate using traditional approaches by observation study. Uh, right now, because uh, we can uh, calculate all the genetic distances um, of um, the, the strains or the genetic sequences available, we can um, we can profile the genetic that genetic variants in the region in a certain population and comparing this profile uh, comprehensively uh, against a certain vaccine strain. So by this comparison, we have a composite view of how these vaccine, how the same type of vaccine might protect uh, a very complex scenario of many strain, uh, multiple strain co-circulation. So we found out that um, in different locations, uh, maybe because of the travel restriction, uh, lack of communication, um, uh, or the um, because simply because of the transmission time, some region has uh, earlier uh, in um, uh, having us observing a new genetic variant, and some regions simply are are are, are the later uh, transmission spot uh, transmission location of the genetic variant. Uh, many of these re reasons would um, uh, form um, the uh, that heterogeneous um, virus population in a given um, genetic, uh, geographical region or from region to region. Uh, but uh, within the same country, these um, uh, differences may not be large, like within the United States, uh, more or less predominant by the Omicron PA4 and 5. But, in, but between the United States to, for example, um, the region in Asia, in Southeast Asia, or in, um, in, in other places, uh, the composition of the virus population would be uh, different. There will be differences. So, um, and in our paper, we showed the sharp contrast between the genetic variant composition in Russia to um, 10 uh, other, uh, over 10 other countries in the world. And we see that uh, during the time of analysis, that is um, in April this year, um, the uh, Russia is still predominant with the Delta variant, and uh, the rest of the locations we consider include including um, UK, Germany, South Africa, and Hong Kong and New York are predominant 
with the Omicron sublineages. So these um, profiling would, uh, um, would suggest um, the vaccine strain component can be um, select can be selected or designed that is specific to a certain region, country or continent, for example, to generate maximum protection for that region's population. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, and lots of yeah. ideas sprouting yeah. in my head, like, oh, you could do this, this, this. Um, very neat. Um, so now this is considered the first ever real-time platform to predict the protective effects of different COVID-19 vaccines, which is pretty cool. So congratulations to you and your team. Um, you. <laughs> can you describe, no, like, the, like the man on the street, can you describe the practical uses? Um, who would use this? Let's start here. Who would use this? How would they access it? Is it being used now? Um, so um, there are um, many different parties that can uh, better utilize this platform. I think the most relevant uh, um, um, party would be vaccine manufacturers <laughs> because uh, um, if they update the variant, update the vaccine, um, it, they, are, they, they faces the problem, manufacturer faces the problem of which variant to choose to, to, to use as a vaccine antigen. And for even newer design of the vaccines like um, Moderna or other uh, manufacturers, they are uh, trying to uh, develop, for example, multivalent vaccines, uh, combine several different variants in the same uh, vaccines. Then there still uh, be a problem of which viral strain to select um, that is most representative of the circulating virus population or even to a future virus population. And this would be affected by uh, the application target region of the vaccine. So the vaccine is uh, should target it to generate maximum effectiveness against um, a population like United States then the design should be tailored for that population according to the virus composition or uh, multiple strain co-circulation scenario of that region. So this is uh, something like reverse vaccinology that is from the outcome, from the eventual outcome that is vaccine effectiveness, we want to inform the design, the specific design um, months ahead. Uh, when um, when we manufacture, when we design the vaccine um, antigen, so uh, this is um, uh, uh, the the first uh, most relevant party I could I could think of, and uh, it's the 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 platform is also um, informative for government and um, policy health policymakers as well, because um, as um, um, a new um, a new even newer variants. Um, uh, com comparing to the Omicron BA5 arises in a certain places in the world. Uh, be even before it enters uh, the States or Hong Kong, uh, as where I'm located in, uh, before it infects the local people, we can already estimate immediately the remaining vaccine uh, protection against that 
new genetic variants. And this is surely a very useful information for CDCs and government health policy makers because it alerts um, the um, uh, how, how vulnerable our population is or uh, the, the potential cost of uh, hospitalization, hospital, hospital resources, or what kind of pre public health um, preventive measure, uh, what kind of uh, restriction measure shall we take to uh, protect against a new genetic variant. Um, hmm. That's the second uh, party. And, and it's also relevant to each individuals because we are also uh, interested to know, like I'm, if I'm traveling to Germany, I want to know how my vaccine protects me against the variants in Germany. So, so if the platform can immediately provide this information, then it will also be very um, uh, informative in, uh, and useful. Yeah, that's very interesting. Cause like right now you have like the, you know like you could be very protected if you travel to Russia because Delta is predominant there. Um, not that- like uh, Not knowing the yeah. situation in, in August. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did I- how, how would- yeah, how, and your next question is how can people access it? Yeah, yeah. Um, where is it available? Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, of course, we in the paper we describe the um, the principled method, uh, but of course we uh, uh, as um, uh, we also translate this technology to um, a related um, uh, company uh, from derived from the Chinese University of Hong Kong. So. That um, um, uh, that uh, company Beth Bio can also uptake the um, uh, commissioned work to carry out the calculation and, and information, or through research collaboration or um, all types of uh, means. Uh, it's uh, all open. And you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast that you started uh, research on this um, with influenza, I believe. So yeah. like five. Yes. And so you could use this platform potentially for other viruses. This isn't just like a COVID thing. Is right, that right. We, yeah. we actually first published papers um, now for uh, the, the, the uh, primary form of the model for influenza vaccines. So it's published last year. We had two papers on it. So it's that established the, the primary, the prototype of the model. Uh, but at that time, the accuracy was about uh, 60 percent. And for COVID, the accuracy uh, reaches to 95%. And now at the meantime, we are also um, updating the influenza vaccines prediction. And now the accuracy reaches 85% for, predict for predicting VEs. So um, the, it's a general platform that can be um, adopted for uh, different types of viruses. Very interesting. I, this is the first time I've ever heard reverse vaccinology. Um, it is a very new concept and very exciting. Yeah, someone should, you should trademark that, that term, reverse vaccinology. <laughs> it's uh, not invented by me. <laughs> well, whoever, it's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a clever term. Um, Professor Maggie Wang, thank you so much. And how is, uh, how is the situation over there? Just uh, um, yeah, it's uh, cases are rising uh, because of BA5 in Hong Kong. Yeah, we are having uh, about 5,000 cases each day, uh, considering the small population in Hong Kong. So that, that's a lot already. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's like us, um, 
we're dealing with all the the Omicron subvariants. I don't know how many there will end up being. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like time, time to is, switch to a new family. But, <laughs> how's, how's the situation in New York? Um, the cases are rising, um, but there's, you know, where there's a lot of concern, I feel like more people are just on the ground. Uh, this is not like a scientific, <laughs> but a lot of people are talking about monkeypox over here versus All right. yeah. yeah that seems to be now on everybody's mind like because they were like what's what is that and so people are very tired of covid um but there might be more public interest you know in in covid i think you know when the fall comes and uh just you know seeing what the virus does but people are concerned and people are i think concerned like my mother asked me the other day she's like i don't know should i get the fourth shot or shouldn't i you know there's a lot of um those types Questions. of in- yeah yeah um and then like do i wait for an updated vaccine do i get this one you know like when is the updated vaccine going to get here cuz people are believe that that's going to be more protective against omicron but then some people are like well if it's not here in time should i take this one now the old one so um i think there's just a lot right. of confusion and um you know anxiety right. and it's hard to keep up i think with the the public health messaging cuz it's it's new. It's just, it's a new virus and people, you know, you, you don't want to say one thing and then people run with it. And then the, something happens, the virus changes and then they get mad at you. So it's like, it's a, it's a little, yeah, it's a tough situation, but yeah, it's very difficult to explain uh, the, the new variants, anything, even the professionals are, yeah. are, are uncertain about the, the outcome. Uncertain. Yes, that's the key word. I think we need to learn how to communicate uncertainty better. So we don't like make people angry or more anxious. Um, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's not easy. Like, like this stuff, like this, it's, you know, a lot of people don't have science backgrounds. And when they hear this stuff, it's like a different language. Um, so even when I was going through your paper, I, I read it twice. Um, just because <laughs> I was like, wait, I want to make sure I get this. <laughs> if you read it when you're slightly tired, you're going to like this a lot. So um, it's, it's just not easy stuff. So we'll see. We'll see. I think we're going to uh, learn a lot from this pandemic um, in many different ways. So, right. Yeah. 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 And we continue to research on the um, uh, new methods to, to, battle not even how can we battle to to deal with to understand the virus evolution yeah yeah it's it, it's it changes so fast i mean you think you're ahead of it and you're like oh um right. yeah yeah but we'll, we'll see we're developing some uh, new methods trying to predict the evolution virus evolution oh you and, and your team are Yes, yes, yes. We already um, oh. uh, write up a paper on influenza virus, which we researched for like five, six years for the algorithm. Oh. And the next one would be applying on the SARS-CoV-2. Oh, so you could meet, like you could predict when it's going to change or how fast it's going to change. Yes. That's yes, interesting. Right. Well, that could be another podcast, maybe. <laughs> down, the, <laughs> down the line. But um Thank you for this. And I, I thought you did a great job in terms of, of simplifying a very complex subject. So I appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners will as well. Thank you, Erin. Um, it's a kind of um, um, very, um, I'm happy to, to hear the New York um, accent. Oh 
<laughs> well, I grew up in small town Pennsylvania, so that's probably the accent you're hearing, and then maybe a little bit of New York thrown in, but yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you, thank you. It's uh, it's very nice. Yeah, yes. I haven't. Yeah, it's it's very nice. Oh, and and thank stay you. stay in touch. Um, definitely, and yeah. you're always welcome to come back on, and and good luck with the rest of your research and. Um, getting through COVID there in Hong Kong, for sure. Thank you, Erin. You too. Take care. Thank and you. And maybe see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining in today to this episode of Causes or Cures. I hope you stick around. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Um, feedback. If you have feedback for me, you can reach me at bloomingwellness.com. You can also read my health blog there and my musings um, on uh, all things public health. Well, really life, life in general. I like to write. Um, Okay, I digress again. Um, All right, guys, go out there and have a good day. I really do hope you learned something. And I also want to thank Professor Wang for coming on and doing a great job of explaining a pretty tough technical paper and breaking it down. So I hope um, you guys at least got some take-home points from it. All right? All right. I'll see you here next time. Bye-bye.